Hello and welcome to another Comedian's Interview for my blog, A Rich Comic Life. My name is Richard Gill and my blog describes my experiences of watching over 800 comedians and counting over the last 46 years. My guest today is the brilliant comedian, Mr. Glenn Moore. Yes! Hello! Hi Richard, thanks so much for having me. What a treat to see you. I'm very well, thank you. All the better for seeing you. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you, my friend. It's an absolute pleasure to have you uh, here. Oh, and and um, uh, we're going to spend the next 45 minutes to an hour or so talking about your comedy career. And I'd like to start off okay. by going way back and asking, how did you become a comedian, please? Um, completely by accident, I think. Um, I it was it was something that had always sort of intrigued me. I found myself around about the age of like eighteen writing jokes for a stand-up set that was never going to happen, and I I still remember those jokes, and I would never tell them on stage. But I, I it was something I was intrigued by, and I, I I'd always done sort of performance to some level, be it sort of like I was in plays when I was at school and then at uni as well. But I sort of as soon as I as soon as I went to uni, I, I really wanted to sort of do anything sort of performance based, whether it was like being part of the student radio station or or trying to be in the student plays, that sort of thing. I ended up joining like the deadly serious, like wanky sort of student theatre group where it was they really, really took it seriously. And um, I, I was fortunate enough to get into a, a few plays there, but I, I don't think they like the fact that I just like to sort of flit around societies and not sort of, and and not be that sort of invested in it. And um, when I, while I, while I was there, a, 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 a guy I made friends with who seemed to be the most serious of them all, said that he he was doing, um, he was also involved in a student comedy improv group that, that started up at uni. And I was like, well, that's, you know, that's another sort of type of performance. That sounds terrifying, but okay, let's do it. And so um, in my second uni, so I was about 19 years old, I, I started, you know, try, trying out um, and auditioning for this student improv group. And then when I started doing shows with them, I was like, we are the, like... I remember going to the Edinburgh Fringe in 2010 for like a week and we were sharing a dressing room with Lionel Blair and um, <laughs> we were in this like 50-seater venue that was getting maybe like eight or nine people a day. And wow. and I, I I remember at the time really sort of arrogantly sort of thinking like, why aren't we selling out? This is this doesn't make sense. We're like, we're really, really good. And I, I would... I would dread... I, I, I hate the idea of thinking... Because I can't, I can't even remember much of it. I, I would hate to watch any of those performances back because in my head I was like, we are, we, we're like, we're really good at this. And we weren't trained in improv. We didn't know any of us. Sort of, it, must, it must have been dog shit. And in, in reality, I now in retrospect feel guilty for any audience member that came to see it because I feel like, you know, going to be a number of fringe with so many amazing shows and stuff like that. Uh, thank, I mean, thank you to them for taking a chance on like a, a student improv group, but I didn't know. Um, so um, that that was sort of a first. That was a first sort of foray, but that that was without sort of writing anything. But I remember the the, the guy who had introduced me to this improv group in the first place. We we're having so much fun that fringe, and um, because we were students and all crammed into like just, just like typically for the Edinburgh fringe, even even as an adult having to share rooms with loads and loads of people. Um, him and I were sharing a bed for the whole the whole time we were there. And I remember one night he he was just like um, he came up with a name for a sketch comedy group that he, and, and we sort of got every night after the show we'd get talking about the idea of writing sketches and stuff like that and so we ended we ended up forming like a sketch comedy duo we got a friend involved as well so we became like a sketch comedy trio and so my first 
proper comedy performance was in like 2011 where I was in like a sketch comedy trio we did like an hour long show because we didn't realise that you know when you start comedy really you only need like five minutes and you go to a mixed bill night and you just work on perfecting that five minute set and then eventually you grow up to seven minutes then to ten minutes and then you do 20 minutes and then once you've got 20 minutes you can technically if, if that stuff is timeless you can live off that for the rest of your life but we didn't know how that worked so we we just um, we, we, we made like an hour long show that must have gone on for like an hour hour and a half with no interval punishing and torturing the audience who'd kindly come to see it um, but I I, I it was, it, we, you know, it was, it was so much fun to do. And a lot of, a lot of the jokes in that show, basically the friend I sort of wrote it with, he was really good at coming up with sketch comedy ideas, really good gimmicks for sketches, what a sketch right. would be about. And then my role was just writing all the little, because we noticed whenever we saw sketch comedy, when we went to the fringe, we didn't really see any professional stuff. We only saw other student stuff. Um, and it was really intriguing to see what other students at our level were, were, were doing. Uh, and when I say our level, I mean our age. You know, in terms of ability, they were way, way above us. Um, but uh, I noticed that with a lot of sketches, they, they uh, or watching a lot of sketch comedy, it usually hinged on, you know, the central conceit being a funny idea and then it escalating from there. But I noticed there were never any, like, sort of little jokes within the dialogue and little one-liners or anything like that. And I really enjoyed trying to put those in. And so uh, that, that was basically my role, just to just fill it with lots and lots of mini jokes. And I, uh, and I didn't really have an outlet for those. I didn't really have like a Twitter account at the time or anything like that. Didn't know what to do with those jokes. Um, and so it, it, was, it was literally about a week after our first sort of performance um, that my friends told me that they'd signed me up for um, a competition called the Chortle Student Comedian of the Year. And it's run by... Chortle, which is that, you know, as you know, the big, the big sort of comedy website in yeah. the UK, or kind of one of the only ones. Um, and they, they run a student comedy competition, which is a great idea because it's a great way of sort of getting spotted and noticed and, and being able to sort of develop a set. So my friends entered me for that competition without me knowing. Um, and so that was my first proper gig, uh, which was, which was about, um, uh, so I, I found out about a month in advance I was going to be doing stand up and have to sort of write a, you know, five to seven minute set. But I just, I just, just used all the little individual jokes that I put in that Scotch comedy show and, and just sort of tried to sort of weave them together into something. And it did, it, obviously, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how to write comedy and I didn't know how to sort of structure stuff. I thought in my head, I was like doing groundbreaking segues <laughs> but by going sort of like, well, first I spoke about movies. And then I spoke about TV shows. I don't think any comedian's ever done that before. Like, it was just such a blink of view because I just hadn't seen, I didn't watch a huge amount of comedy when I was growing up. Yeah. I didn't see much, I hadn't seen much live comedy in my life at all. Right. And the stuff I had seen was purely just done by other people my age. I'd never really seen people do it sort of professionally. So I had no idea what I was, I was, I, was, I think the worst kind of performing, which I both had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> But at the same time, was absolutely certain that I was like treading new ground, and I, I honestly, it's so embarrassing to think back to. <laughs> wow! So your your first sorry gig. That was the longest answer ever, and I don't really think <laughs> I, I think it was just a, a sorry about it's that. Fine. I, I... <laughs> please, please, it's absolutely fine. Your your first gig was twenty eleven, and it was a stu it was the Chortle Student Competition. Yeah, it's wow. it's on YouTube. That it's on. It's still. Daunting, it's still. You it? can still watch it. It's. Yeah. Uh, I. I. I hate the fact that you can still watch it. <laughs> and I've been. I've. I, I, it's. <laughs> you can't. I can't get it taken down either. Um. Wow. Uh, but it, it like. It must have. I was. Been I was lucky. With, with it. With it being your first ever. It game, was really daunting. It that, was. That must have been terrifying. Yeah. I. So. 
Yeah, I, I, the only thing I'd ever done previously was the night before. The night before was the first time I'd ever gone on up on stage on my own, right? Um, in a comedy capacity, wow. and that was because the Georgia Student Comedy Night was taking place as part of some people in the year above me at uni who had who had start they'd founded this uh, improv group that I ended up being part of. They decided to set up this um, student comedy festival, and it was like the, I think the you know it was it was the only one in the country at that time. And the first time they they did it was about a year before I ever did comedy. But I remember like the main headliners were like the Cambridge Footlights, and just being blown away yeah, that people yeah, yeah. The, the people my age could just be doing stuff in my like my opinion was absolutely TV quality, and there were so many great people who, who who went on to go into comedy sort of uh, professionally. So people like uh, Liam Williams um, and uh, Alex Owen from uh, the sketch comedy duo, The Pin. They yeah. were, I remember them being in that set. I remember it so, so vividly. I remember every single sketch because I was just so blown away by it. And um, so the following year, they sort of did another one of those festivals and um, I, I was sort of helping out with it. And um, the night before the Chortle student thing, they, they, they had this, um, they, you know, they, they had like lots of sketch comedy groups and stuff like that from all over the country. But also in, in just the university's cafe bar, they had uh, just an open mic night, which was like, look, if anyone's tried stand up for the first time, they're, they're, there's your opportunity. And um, someone I knew was meant to be hosting, but they couldn't get to the show in time. So they just sort of said, if we give you like 10 minutes to just go backstage and just write some stuff, are you okay to go on stage and just... All you need to really do is introduce the acts, but if you want to, if you want to just talk to them for a couple of minutes, try and do some jokes and stuff like that, then that'd be. So I was forced into the first gig wow. um, purely by the fact that there wasn't anyone there to perform. Um, so I, I but I, it was, you know, the, I mean, the the jokes I, the, I certainly the first two jokes that I opened with ended up being my opening jokes for at least four years after that, and that's not a good thing. But in, in, in my head, I was like, wow, must have been a good first gig, and it was like, well, actually. No, on the, you know, on the flip side, it was just the fact of like, I, I couldn't think of any other open jokes for four years. Um, and so, it, it, you know, it, it, that, that went okay. It was, it was, it was for the most part, we've, we've stand up. Well, it, all, all, all it takes for that, that first laugh from the audience to just make you go, okay, it's fine. That's happened. The worst thing that happens now, if I get no more laughs after this at all, at least I knew that I made them laugh once. And I know that's not enough, but like, you know, there's, that, that's a start at least. Um, <laughs> And um, so, yeah, the, ne the next night event had the children's student thing. And I think I had the, this sounds so pathetic to say, but like the home advantage of the fact that it was being performed in the, uh, uh, in the same room where the student improv group I was part of used to perform shows like every couple of weeks. Right. The audience was mostly made up of those people who would come and see their shows every week. And um, I was the only person, I was the only student on the bill who actually was at that uni. Everyone else was from universities and, you know, in sort of like Manchester and Leeds. And because yeah, I was yeah. in Sheffield, they were in sort of like nearby cities because that was their closest one. Um, but I, I certainly think there were better comedians than me on the night. Wow. Um, and a couple of people who have gone on to be on a hell of a lot of TV shows and stuff like that. But I, I, I purely had the benefit of having an audience that had seen me previously and were on my side. Otherwise, there was no way I would have gotten through that at all. I definitely didn't have the ability or anything like that. So it was, so, it was pure, it was pure luck. And yeah, it was, yeah, wow. I'm very grateful for that. But ultimately, I don't, I don't think, I don't think I deserve to go through that evening. Um, so we're talking now 2011 and you're, and, and you, yeah. you, 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 you get through to, to, you're a finalist at, the, at, at this competition um, because you're a finalist. Yeah, so so did, so Chortle was my first proper gig. And yeah. then, you, sorry. 
I was just going to I was just going to say because you were a finalist did that help you at mm. all to get gigs or did you have to uh yeah. play pubs for 5 minutes with a, taking a friend along like the normal routine or did it did it help at all that you did the total <sighs> night kind of it didn't have as much sway as i anticipated mainly because um promoters relative promoters who either hadn't heard of it or b right. couldn't give a shit right, and right. um so i and, and again i was still really really inexperienced because like i uh, the 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 children student gig was my first proper gig yes. despite you know I'd, I'd done one semi gig the night before um but that's my first proper gig the semi-final was my second gig and then the final was maybe like my fourth or Wow. I think I did like it was the final was up in the Edinburgh Fringe, and I think I did one gig like the day before wow. because um, a few friends of mine were running a student stand-up show every every day at the Fringe, and it was yeah. people like uh, Phil Wang, Pianovelli, and Ahir Shah. Yeah. And so I met them and got to gig with them like the day before, and that was sort of that was really handy as well. Um, but no, I, I, I in my head because I'd heard of so many people in competitions like that getting to the final. And as far as I was concerned, I was like, I got to the final. That's it. It doesn't matter what happens now. I can say I'm a finalist. That that means a lot. Like, because as far as I was concerned, I was like, let's let's equate being a finalist in something as winning a million pounds. As, as far as I'm concerned, winning is like winning a million and one pounds. Do you know what I mean? It's it, it's so much. It, it was it was in more than enough yeah. for me to just reach the final. I, I didn't really care how it went. And then I died on my ass in the final. Absolutely died on my ass. Yeah. And I remember my my manager now um, says she was in the audience for that. And at the time she she said she thought I was shit. She said I was really shit. <laughs> so, and she went on to sign me about four three years later. But she genuinely said she thought I was really bad at the time. So so after the final, <laughs> after, after the, yeah. After the final, did you did you yeah. serve your apprentice playing pubs and doing five minute spots and things like this, or uh, no, could I, you I, go to big, slightly bigger venues? I didn't do a single gig for a year after wow. that. I, I think because because <laughs> what happened was what happened was I was um, I, my, like for weirdly all of my life had wanted to be a newsreader and that's such a yeah. strange job to want to be like as a child but I was just like that's all I wanted to be and I don't know why really really wanted to be it and then when I got to like the final of the chortle thing it was like well every person I've heard of in the past who's gotten to the final has gone to just work in comedy professionally and I was like oh, comedy would be way more fun yeah. than journalism yeah, way yeah. more fun but at the same time I, I, about a month before the final, I got my first job because I just, it, it was, I'd literally just finished as a student and then there was the final. So I, I, I just finished as a student and I got, um, I got a job as a newsreader at a radio station in Sheffield. And I was like, I, uh, I, I, I've wanted to be a newsreader my whole life. And even though I now like to be a comedian more, I think I owe it to myself to at least give the whole newsreading thing a go. It seems insane to just abandon that completely and then just suddenly move to a different city try and do comedy because a few people I met at that final were like any, anyone who'd expressed an interest in booking me for their gig or, or signing me as uh, as a client was was saying you need to you need to live in a you need to live in Manchester or London those are yeah. literally the two options and um, 
So I was sort of like, can I, can I, do, do you mind if I just do the whole news reading thing for like a year and then see how I fit? Like, because then at least if I then quit journalism and try to go into comedy and it, and it flops, then at least I can go back to journalism and be like, I've done this for a year before. So I've got experience. So I thought maybe, maybe that would sort of work. And um, so I, yeah, I, I just, di- I didn't do any gigs for a whole year and then moved to London. Um, it, was before I, it was before I moved to London. I was, I, I was still, I was still living in Sheffield and it turned out I didn't enjoy my job. Didn't enjoy right. my job as a journalist. Wasn't enjoying being a newsreader. Right. And um, I found the hours sort of really difficult. And when I started doing, I, I thought oh, I might start trying to do gigs again. And I saw there was a competition called Say You Think You're Funny, um, which if you've ever been on like the Wikipedia article for, again, literally, like if you, if you look at the finalists in the past, every yeah. single finalist is a name that you can click on that sends you to their Wikipedia article. They've all gone on to work full-time in comedy and done that. And so... Um, I I entered So You Think You're Funny um, and they sort of took an exception because you're only meant to have been going for like a year and I was like, okay, I've technically been going for 18 months but I did three gigs in that time. Does that rule me out? And they're like, no, you can enter. And so I got to the... And again, what I thought with Trottle and what I thought with So You Think You're Funny was, okay, if I win, I'll go into comedy full-time and if I don't, then I'll just abandon it completely. And then in Chorto, I came second to Adam Hess. And I was like, ah, that's really complicated now because I come second, which means I, I, sh- I should technically just abandon comedy, but at the same time, that's quite, I, I quite, ah, oh, man. Um, and then with So You Think You're Funny, I was like, I'm determined. All oh, right, let's try and give us a go. And um, I managed to get to the final again, I think completely by a fluke. I don't think, I really don't think I was good enough. Um, and um, and I remember talking to a, 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 an agent there who was like, if you re- if like if you do want to do this, you're gonna to have to move to London, which isn't true. Like looking back, that was not a true thing to say. It's just the fact that they themselves were based in London. That was the only reason yeah, they said yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and I, I I want to urge any budding comedian listening to this, you do, you do not have to do that. You absolutely not. Um, and so I I thought, all right, let's do it. And so I quit my I quit my job as a newsreader and I moved to London with about two hundred pounds. To, to which was in London would last for you know a, a week in rent wise. I was just like I, I, I and I had no job or anything like that. And um, I was like, okay, what I'll do is I, as soon as I move to London, I'll sign up to every temp agency. I'll just do any office job I can during the day, any any temp job I can. And then in the evenings, I'll do literally any gig I can. And um, yeah, for the first few nights in London, I was just crashing and burning, doing so so badly, really really dying on my ass. It was but but the open mic gigs in London were so so different yeah, yeah. than the ones I'd found up in Sheffield because in Sheffield the, I, I felt like in Sheffield the quality, quality sort of seemed higher but in, in, in the London Open Mic as well the, the, the gigs were badly run where you'd have you know 30 people on the bill and you had to stay to watch all of them the audience was only those comedians who just wanted to do their set and leave um, and you were each given like four minutes yeah, yeah. Of, of time and then after three minutes the compare starts to walk onto the stage to like reach for the microphone out of your hand and so I remember those first few nights in London I was just going to bed each night just staring at the ceiling being like what the fuck have I done and I started the saving grace of like this this agent I'd spoken to in Edinburgh was like just move to London don't worry I'll be fine and I'll, I'll be interested in signing you and so um, I, I, I rang him up and uh, while I was on my lunch break at uh, a, a temp job I was doing for Thames Water and um, I I rang up and I was like, hey, um, it's, it's Glenmore. Uh, I've quit my job. I've done it. I've moved to London. Uh, let's talk. And he was like, Glen, Glenmore. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember. Yeah. And it was like, oh, fuck. What have I done? And he was like, yeah. He was like, I've, li- I've, I've signed like a bunch of people in the last year. There's n- I don't have any space. But good to hear you're still giving it a go. And it was like, oh, shit. 
Um, and I just thought I'd absolutely blown it. I was so, so, it, yeah, that, that was that was pretty bleak. Um, so what and, happened But then? eventually I just, you know, I, I, I just kept going. I kept just trying to do any gig I could. And actually I found I was having more success doing gigs outside of London than right. ones actually in London because outside of London I was being able to get my first sort of bits of paid work. And by paid work, I mean, you know, in, in, enough, enough to cover the Megabus fare. Um, yeah. that, you know, that, that was it. And so I'd, you know, I'd, I'd try and get out of this temp job at Thames Water a couple of hours early, just so I could leap into a car share of strangers oh, and we could go down to Exeter and, uh, you know, we'd, we'd each do five minutes, but then there'd definitely be a promoter there who would book you in for an absolute ton of gigs afterwards. And again, they'd, you know, they, they, they at best pay like 20 pounds, but I was like, fuck, 20 pounds. You know, this is all mounting up. It's all, you know, it's all getting somewhere. Yeah. Like if the first gig was 10 pounds and next week I'm making 20 pounds, by the end of the year, I'm going to be on thousands. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And Good, obviously, that's you? not how it worked, but it was just, I, I, I but no, it, 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 I think it was pure delusion. I, I like, well, I mean, I'm so glad I did it, but I just think, I, I think it was just, yeah. I think that was part of me that was like, well, I, I have fucked up my career so much in the last few months by just quitting a job <laughs> that was willing to have me and moving to London and just doing anything. I, I was like, I fucked up this much. I may as well just keep going because I, why not give this a go? And if, if in five years I look back and I'm like, what a waste of time. Five minutes in the wider scheme of your entire life. I was like, surely isn't that much. Surely that would be fine. And so um, I just kept going and going and going and going and going. And for years just wasn't, I don't think was getting anywhere anything like that because I, I was trying to, I was juggling so many, basically I was juggling the, I was, do, I was doing any temp job I could, which took up like nine to five. And then uh, I was like, maybe I should try and do news reading on the side. So I was trying to talk to people like um, uh, radio stations and stuff like that who would hire me as a freelancer. They'd be like, you've got to do Saturdays and Sundays. And I'd be like, okay, so on a Saturday I would do like, um, 4 a.m. till midday at wow. one radio station and then I'd get on a bus and just go to the other side of London and do like 1 p.m. till 8 p.m. on a different radio station and then I would then just try and get on a train to Stevenage to do an open spot there and you then rush have back. absolutely and exhausted. Get... Yeah, I, so I, ha I had about four hours sleep a night for about a decade um, oh, wow. and... It was just like, but it was, I just used to fill my diary with these things and be like, you know what? The future version of me can deal with that. I will deal with that in the future. But I would look for any opportunity to get sleep. I would sleep on any train I was on, any bus I was on. Um, sometimes if I was, if I was doing like a news reading shift and I was like, right, my, I've got, I've got the, I've got a bulletin at midday. And then uh, my previous bulletin before that is half 11. That gives me... Oh. 15 minutes to nap and then five <laughs> minutes to write it and then five five you know five minutes to write the bulletin and another five minutes to record wow um, and that and then on monday morning i'd go straight back to the temp job like nine to five again and then, and then do do gigs so it was it was oh. yeah at the very very least I, I was i was working six days a week but usually usually seven for a good few years um what, what and is, but, but at... not making any money for, sorry sorry no no i was just going to say what is coming across though is determination, enthusiasm, mm. and confidence, which you have in spades when no, I see I think, you do I, comedy night. I think it. I think. I think it was desperation and insanity. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think because 
but also the problem was I really st- I really stagnated in that period because I couldn't write I couldn't write anything new because well, firstly I was too tired all the time I was just trying to sleep whenever I could but secondly I'd I'd I because I, I didn't have any time to write I'd go on stage and just do the exact same bits of material every night and I didn't have the opportunity to go back like wow. if there was a joke that consistently wasn't working I didn't have time to change it so I'd go back into I'd go, I'd go on stage the next night at a gig and be like, oh God, now I've got to do this fucking bit, which never works because I didn't, I didn't have anything else. Um, and so I, it was just, a, it was, I was just in this nightmarish cycle. So, um, so, so you must have been yeah. very nervous to go on stage and keep doing it, even although it was the same material or did nerves not play a part? Yeah, it did. They played a huge part, but dependent on the gig because the first chain the first like club chain that got that gave me sort of proper paid work so this yeah. was maybe like this was maybe about a year or so after I moved to London it took a full year at least to get consistent sort of stuff and um, it was it was Jonglers and it was Julia Chamberlain who ran So You Think You're Funny so she sort of trusted me from having seen me in that competition and so uh, she booked me for Jonglers gigs and so that was you know you know the, the cliche is stacking Hindus and uh, you know pretty rowdy crowds on a Friday and Saturday night and it's like yeah it was and you'd be performing in venues that, there, had the, that had the acoustics <laughs> of a leisure centre and um, I would I would go on stage absolutely terrified there because especially if it, you know sometimes it was a compare in three acts great you do 20 minutes each perfect sometimes it was a compare in two acts in which case they go can you do 35 minutes and it was like or they go look you're doing this gig in Portsmouth the headliner's arriving from the gig in Southampton because he's open there so you're just going to go on stage and just fill for as long as and in my head I was like I, I like <laughs> by this point I was like I've got 20 minutes I've got 20 minutes that would work and then beyond that I've got material yes but not for jonglers and so what would happen is I'd, I'd I, I would be I, I I, I, I wouldn't eat, I wouldn't spread it out. I would open up like my strongest stuff to get them on side. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then it would slowly just start to wane away by the end. Oh, and I, was, I would just right. be staring at the back of the room, just waiting for that red light to flash to say, you know, you've got two minutes, you can wrap up now. Um, wow. So yeah, it was just, and, and the whole issue was I was just ruining the fact that I never had, I'd look in my diary and be sort of like, ah, in two weeks time, I've got, uh, in two weeks time, I've got a whole afternoon off. I'm working in the morning, I'm working in the evening, but I've got a whole afternoon, that's like four hours. I'll write some stuff then. Um, but then inevitably, like, I'd suddenly spot that, like, oh, uh, this, you know, this radio station wants someone to read the news for literally, like, 40 pounds. And I'd be like, yes, yeah. And I was just, it, yeah, I was just obsessed with the idea of working. I just felt like, in my head, I was like, as long as I'm working, I'm getting somewhere. But that just wasn't, that wasn't the case at all. A lot of, a lot of the gigs that I did, it was very much, a, you know, tree falling in the forest. So, scenario where it was like well, wasn't you know so yeah so when when was the point what, what or was there a point where you thought i can do this really well and co- and comedy's the way forward for me um i don't know i'd say it was probably no more than four years ago yeah no more no more than that um and I'd say there was one, there was one like 24 hour period where everything changed. Yeah. Um, in, and that, that was, that was towards the end of 2017. And it was a very, very, very fortunate 24 hour period in which um, I, I got to be on Mop the Week, which was, which was a, a complete sort of life changer yeah. career wise. And that yeah, changed yeah. what gigs I was able to be booked for and stuff like that. Um, that, that, I remember that was on the Tuesday. No, that was on the, I recorded that on the Tuesday. 
and then the next morning I started uh, on the breakfast show on Absolute Radio, which then became like my full time like radio sort of thing. So that was about and and um, it was so nice to be and the show literally just involved being on the breakfast show. Uh, this was with Christian O'Connell at first. Now it's Dave yeah. Berry, but uh, it was ju- it was just being on the show for four hours, six a.m. to ten a.m. But I was like, I was so used to starting at like LBC and stuff at you know four in the morning. But I was like, six a.m. is a fucking lion, you know. <laughs> um, and so six, a- but also six a.m. to ten a.m. And I had suddenly had all these afternoons free and was able to sort of write more stuff. Um, and so I so I'd, I'd had Mother Week the night before. Then I started on the breakfast show the following morning, and then I went straight from the breakfast show for a meeting at uh, Mash Report because uh, uh, where they where I got hired as a writer and that that those three things in one day I think was the only time where I was sort of like oh this feels like a this feels this feels like I'm doing this full time now before that I never did never did at all so that that was what it was and uh, and the effects of those helped out a lot yeah whenever you're on stage what I love about your performance is that 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 you draw people in because there's so many jokes in the in the material and it makes you listen because you you may miss a gag um can you tell me more about your writing process and where you get your ideas from Sure. I mean, uh, well, weirdly, it all comes, the idea of trying to pack things with jokes all came from me going on stage exhausted at places like Jonglers. Um, because I was often so aware that I was like, I, I, there's a chance I might be so tired, I can't really put in a good performance. Yeah. And so the idea was the jokes were purely a crutch. So it was like, no matter how badly I perform, no matter how just exhausted I come across on stage, at the very least, the audience will come away and they cannot deny that they've, that they've, they've, they've heard a hell of a lot of jokes, surely. They might not have enjoyed That's those jokes, I but love. at least I've yeah. tried. At least yeah. those are there. Um, and so, and and it came from the first time I ever did an open spot at Jonglers not having a good one at all. I gave it, I, I think I left the stage after about six minutes. I was like, right. I th- I, it was it was pretty silent. And then I heard some sort of murmuring around the, around the crowd, which I was like, I'm certain this is going to sound like a, I'm certain this is going to become booing in like, a second and I was certain I heard someone say get off so I was like thank you very much goodbye I was like I'm not you know I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being paid for this I don't have an obligation to stay on no. and for the sake of the evening it's best if I'm not on stage anymore and they're in the hands of a better a better comedian um, but I remember uh, being so panicked because that was my first real proper like proper proper on stage death like silence 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 the whole way but I remember having that panic and I, I still get it now if I'm not having a good gig but yeah, in my head I'm just like where the fuck is the next punchline where the next punchline is like four minutes away I need something and so uh, the next time that, I did that gig about four months later my set up. was completely different <laughs> but it was but it was but then but, but, but I, I Julia uh, thank, thank I mean God bless her said look you didn't have a good one but I'll give you another try now you know what the audience is like here and now you know what you have to be like so come back and do it again in like four months time and so I did the gig four months later and it was on my mind for four months. I was, I, it would be, wow. it, I would think about it and get scared about it at least one point a day for every four months. And I remember Nathan Caton had been on the night where I'd absolutely done on my ass. And I remember saying, uh, saying to him, she's, she's told me I've, I've got to come back and do it in four months. And he was like, it, it was, um, it was the old Camden Jonglers and uh, yeah, yeah, it's okay. a really long room. And he said, every time you play this gig, every, every time you play this gig, it will get 10 meters shorter. The, the, the room will get 10 meters shorter in your opinion it will get smaller and smaller and smaller until eventually you've done this gig so many times it will just feel like a nice intimate crowd it gets better it gets easier and that was su- that was really really great advice I'm so grateful to him for that but I um, yeah I had four months to just change my set and so I just made it like joke 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 just filled it with as many jokes as I could where 
unless a sentence was a punchline, it was specifically a setup leading directly into the next punchline. And it was probably, you know, like the set wasn't that coherent or anything like that, but um, it was loads of, loads of those jokes ended up being like a major part of my set for a couple of years because I sort of needed that. And in, ter- in terms of writing them, um, I, I don't know, sometimes like... You have I was never, I've, I've never been able to... I've, yeah, I've never been able to sit down in like a cafe and just go, right, I'm going to write today. That's never, ever happened. It's never, ever happened. Usually a joke will just come to me as if as if it's just been whispered to me in my ear, as if it's just been fully written and ready to go to the extent that as soon as I get home, I usually have to Google it and make sure it's not like a famous joke I've just remembered from some other comedian. Um, but it's it, sometimes it's luck. Sometimes it just pops into my head. Sometimes I'll dream them and wake up and be like, oh my God, that, I, th- I think that's a good joke. I and mean, then I check it again in the morning and sometimes it is a joke. Sometimes it's just an incoherent night thought. Um, but what, in terms of like stringing stuff together and actually making it a routine, what usually happens is I, I, I write every single semi-idea I have down in my phone right. so that usually by the end of the year, I have about 2,000 to 3,000 just ideas. And so many of them are unusable. Sometimes it's just a fully written joke. Other times it's like, is there something in post-it notes? Or so, you know, and that, that's it. That's literally just all I've written. Um, and then when it comes to sort of trying to write an Edinburgh show, what I'll do, do is I'll spend a couple of days and it does take a couple of days to just sift through all those ideas and just read through it again and again and just try and work out what patterns are emerging or oh hang on a second I've got 20 jokes that are kind of about medicine or or, or doctors so I guess I could string those together and if I've got various jokes about insults or things I would use to describe someone I don't like and then another, I've got loads of stuff about living situations. So what if I made my housemate a doctor and I don't like him? So in between every description of him, I can put those jokes in. Brilliant. And it's all happening in the context of not liking someone or not liking a living situation. And then you can have a go at their job or that, or that sort of thing. I mean, I mean, for every joke I write, I then try and work out, like if, if I've got a joke that's very much a, a visual thing, and it's pulling something out of my pocket or something like that. Not in like a sort of prop sense necessarily, but like if it, if, if, if it is something like that, then I usually think, right, how, does it, is this going to be the first time I mention this thing? Or would this work better as a reveal 20 minutes down the line from something I've set up earlier? So it, it's not usually a case of I come up with the joke first and then try and come up with what could work as a callback later. I usually write a joke first and then think, is there a different version of this joke I can plan? much much earlier in the show and then it all starts to sort of then I try and sort of wrap it up so every joke is technically relevant because I think it's certainly not my first you know the first time I sort of ever went to Edinburgh I think I didn't know um really how to put a show together in in my head it was all coherent it was all telling one storyline but it was very inconsistent and it the, the um essentially it was just one liners for an hour even though in my head I was like no but they're, they're telling a story. The problem was, it was like, right, this character you mentioned, in this joke, she's got three arms, which was never mentioned. But that doesn't make any sense because of previously. In my head, I was like, oh, obviously I'm making this up so it doesn't matter. But it does if it doesn't exist within its own yeah, yeah. boundaries that you've set up. You know, it's got, it's got to exist on its own merits. Um, and so that, that became something I was like obsessed with in terms of writing and making sure everything held up and no, nothing's true or really that feasible it could technically be um, and so that informed the joke writing process as, as well because none, none of my jokes ever seem like realistic or anything like that always really silly and really stupid and things that couldn't really possibly be true brilliant. so I had to like 
watered. So I, I, I usually have to not water down most of my jokes, but just change them slightly so they could be feasible and yeah, they could yeah. technically work. Because a lot of the jokes, certainly, certainly my first couple of 20-minute sets and stuff, and certainly my first Edinburgh show I did, it was mostly made up of jokes I'd done in previous sketch comedy shows, which is fine because in that situation, you can do whatever the fuck you want and, and have absolute nonsense happening. Um, but that, that didn't really translate into stand-up because I think people go into it already giving the performer the benefit of a doubt that what they're saying is true because that's it's such a common part of stand-up of saying this genuinely happened um so i had to sort of change that because sometimes i've certainly found in like doing gigs in somewhere like america where the idea is you know and certainly in a lot of gigs not not across all of us stand-up but it's a it's a commonplace sort of thing that someone might go up on stage and the idea is you just talk about your day and what you're going through and you talk through the process of everything like that and it's all very natural on stage and the jokes will naturally happen as you talk about it and it's all very conversational and loose um and i found i was doing gigs a couple of years ago uh in in new york and just i'd tell i'd sort of do my opening joke which was a deliberate sort of pullback and reveal and the audience were like oh, oh my god and it was like no no no, it's not true it's not oh my god no it's not true i'm obviously making, obviously making up but that just wasn't that's not really something Thing that is is as sort of common then. Not, I'm not saying I introduced them to that idea at all, but like <laughs> it just didn't work. And I think I think because I think I I I, I think people think I'm going to be serious, right? Or at least tell the truth. I don't know if it's the glasses but, or something like that. Or, or, that I, but I think it doesn't. It almost doesn't. It almost doesn't suit me to talk about complete shit. <laughs> that's that's definitely not a hindrance though, because if you do come across serious. You can then say whatever you like, which is wonderful. Yes, I, I, that 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 helps certainly in certain punchlines where the audience it takes you a second to, to uh, yeah. you know they just accept what you said as a factual statement, and then go so, sorry, hang on, oh, sorry, what? Um, and that <laughs> that is a, always a fun reaction to sort of try and get from an audience. Um, but to the extent where I'm now obsessed with just making stuff up, I could I I'd find it now weird talking about something real on stage and I find I, I, I now find it very difficult if there is something real life I want to talk about on stage I find it really 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 difficult trying to make it work right. because the audience eventually becomes so accustomed to you just talking absolute nonsense that when you do talk about something that did happen it's, it lessens the impact of it I think quite a lot right, because right. they go well this isn't as sure this did really happen to you but it's not as fantastical as the thing you made up earlier I think that's interesting. It's really I, interesting. I, I, but it's it's a weird because it's like um, I I I remember because uh, I remember doing the gig. Um, I remember doing an Edinburgh preview at Always Be. So I remember I remember seeing you there mm. where I was doing my show about having been a newsreader previously. And though yeah. the idea of me having been a newsreader was a true thing, the whole thing was completely made up. And then in the last ten minutes, I did a real life bit that involved me having to work with like Nigel Farage and, and, and Katie Hopkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that took so much more writing right. than the act- and rewriting than the actual jokes because it, it wasn't hard to get the audience on board. Once I found some audio of me being on those radio shows and having to work with these dreadful people, then that at least proved it to the audience. And so they go, oh, okay, we believe that. But the problem was it then put the, the previous 50 minutes they'd seen in quite disappointing relief because they it became so much more apparent that the previous 50 minutes of what made heard was complete bullshit and completely made up and it sort of lessened the impact retrospectively right so that took so much rewriting wow. so so much really i've definitely created a rod for my own back there 
right. Um, I, I've obviously seen you many, many times at Always Be Comedy, and uh, um, I, uh, when I go to the Edinburgh Fringe, which I have done since 2005, I go every year, um, mm. I went, uh, I tried to get in to see one of your shows, and I was delighted to see that you were sold out, which was fantastic. I oh, couldn't get in. I could not get <laughs> in. And, and one of the reasons why I write this blog is I've seen so many comedians over the years develop and, and you're a classic example of someone who just turns into you make it look so easy what you do and 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 I wanted to ask you um, do you ever find it difficult to um, express yourself at all on stage like you say it's an it's an extension of the last question it I suppose it depends what you're talking mm. about yeah I do I, do, I don't like talking about real things it it makes mm. it just makes me feel weird yeah I don't I don't know why mm. and it, it doesn't come from not being able to sort of open up or anything like that I'm perfectly fine doing that with people I know but it's yeah. just I, I just I'm so much more comfortable I found I've a hundred percent found what I'm comfortable with in terms of how I do stand up and I've, I've, I've got my own thing that I do and I like that and one day I might change if I get bored of it I might change it and, and mix it up but I haven't gone as far as I want to go with that yet no, um, and so I I just thought as well I don't no one needs to hear my thoughts on anything no. probably because they're so boring and Right, well. mild. In, in, with regards to the wider comedy industry, it's nothing controversial. And also, did, why would anyone need to yeah. hear what I have to say about anything? I, I, I've, I, I've genuinely got nothing to offer yeah. for any subject or any any debate. I've got no exciting personal experience in my life. Nothing, nothing deeply uh, that's ever deeply uprooted yeah. my life. And I, I feel it would be. Um, wasting people's time if i if i spoke about it whereas in my head i'm like what i what i have gotten is is is, is an imagination and i i think that that that's my strongest skill than than trying to make jokes out of stuff that's happened in my life because ultimately the stuff that's happened in my life in my opinion really is too, is too boring to talk about <laughs> I, I think you're putting yourself down <laughs> it really it really is <laughs> is there a is there a way for you to remember the routines when you're on stage? Do you do you have pointers in your head that lead on to gags, or do you make notes and pre and practice and practice and practice? Yeah, it's it's. I think I I helped myself learn stuff by trying to write callbacks and stuff like that because I know I have to do this bit now because I call back to this bit here, um, and that's why I tried to sort of group jokes together. Because right. that way they'd all they'd all be sort of clumped together, and that yeah. way as well, if you if you do forget one, you miss one out, then it doesn't matter. You're already talking about that subject; it's yeah. fine. Um, no, I'd say my certainly before Edinburgh shows and before tours, uh, tours one tour, um, that I my my bedroom would look like uh, the workings of a serial killer. It's just post-it notes, <laughs> post-it notes, post-it notes, and those would get rearranged over <laughs> time. And each post-it note would only have like one or two jokes on. Right. So there'd be a few hundred just on the wall. And then some of them get taken off and put into a maybe pile and stuff like that. And, and that, yeah. that was how they got rearranged. And so eventually right. I would just try and learn them that way and and sort of memorize what the order of the post-it notes looked like in my head as opposed to what was actually on those post-it notes. I found that sort of a lot easier. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I, 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 with, it's usually with great difficulty. I, I found certainly 
I was reluctant to do online gigs when they first sort of started um, because I think in my head I assumed everything was going to be over far sooner than actually well is going to be um, but I quite enjoyed having the 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 amount of work I, I as I said I, I was doing for for years and basically just lost my 20s to um, I still didn't let up that amount of work and so um, when I was on tour for instance in towards the end of literally a few months before the pandemic started yeah. I was still rushing back from like Cardiff or Birmingham every night to do to do the radio show again at six in the morning wow. and then I would try and do some writing work for some for something else like in the afternoon and I, I think I, I just I got it into my head that like if you're not if I'm not working then I'm not I'm not getting anywhere and so yeah, I always yeah. just have to be working it was a really unhealthy mindset to have so actually suddenly having all that taken away whilst you know financially very damaging um was okay. kind of a uh, it was it was good in stopping me from really wearing myself out because I think it was making me pretty unwell and um I was just exhausted all the time and so um I just enjoyed suddenly having a free diary and knowing as well and this is such a stupid way of looking at it but knowing as well that everyone else did as well there was nothing you know it's not like Oh, you're not going to Edinburgh Fringe. Well, everyone's going to be Edinburgh Fringe. You're not going to get yeah. spotted by this person or that sort of thing. There was none of that. It was just look. All of us are stuck at home. This is the summer holidays I never had. You know, I just this is great. And so I was just staying at home, not really writing much material. Just coming, you know, a couple of jokes a day maybe, but nothing yeah. huge. Um, and I just I enjoyed not doing that and and uh, and just sort of taking that sort of time away. So what it meant was when I did get back to doing Zoom gigs. I just couldn't remember. I couldn't remember how to do stand up anymore, just at all. It took a good couple of gigs to get back into the swing. I just couldn't remember, and I just, I just couldn't because it was just. It's a different skill set anyway. I find yeah. it weird do, doing the sort of stand up I do. I find I I do find it weird doing it over Zoom because it feels like I'm doing just a rehearsed monologue. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm like I could just have my camera off and just take my headphones out and not hear anyone because I'm just. It's not really going to affect my performance. So I've, I've I so much more enjoyed in Zoom gigs trying to change things up and just using it as an opportunity for new material and making it all a bit more haphazard and just going, right, what have we got next? Uh, does this work? Does it, and just throwing stuff out there a bit more and being a bit more interactive with it, uh, in, interactive with it. Um, because my, my, I just my, had forgotten how to do my set and thank yeah. God I've got recordings of them, but I, I'm, when it, when, when gigs go back to normal, I'm going to have to listen back to old recordings to remember what my set actually is. I think my my view of online gigs, uh, uh, um, mm. they are a excellent substitute for the real thing. Um, mm. If 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 the online comedy hadn't have happened, I don't know how I'd have got through lockdown. Um, I do really enjoy um, going to them. Uh, the first few that I went to, there was no audio, so you couldn't. So I I was laughing, mm. but you couldn't hear me and I was laughing but there's no, yeah. I, th I thought I was going to be taken away but um, <laughs> once the once the audio happened um, they were fine but I can't, you can't beat live performance because you're in the one room with a group of people that, that, that you have to entertain and anything can happen on that night and anything and, and I hope it comes mm -hmm. back very very soon Me too. They are so much better. And doing Zoom gigs has taken away a lot of the fear. I was so, so nervous. So, so nervous um, when I was uh, doing my first gig back. It was I, basically I was walking down um, a high street near where I live and just got, I bummed into uh, Catherine Bohart and Sarah Keyworth, who at the time were together running a gig called Gigless. Yeah. And uh, they were like, oh, do our gig. 
And I was like, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, let's do it, let's do it. And in my head, I was like, I was deliberately good at just not doing any Zoom gigs at all. And I, I, <laughs> that night, it felt like the first gig I'd ever done. I was just pacing around my living room just all night, just like, fuck, I've got to do it, I've got to do it in a second. I'm really nervous, but this could go so badly. It could go so, so badly. I was just so, so scared. Um, and then it was, and then it was really, really nice. And I, I, I really sort of enjoyed the experience. Um, but they are, it is, dra- it's so, so different. It's so, so different it to doing different, a, an actual yeah. sort of gig. It really isn't. It wasn't, it wasn't until I did a gig the night before, the night of the US election. So I remember that was a night before we went into another lockdown and I did a new material night on the, uh, the boat show in London, just on the Thames. And um, it was just having such a nice time backstage with the act. So I was having a nice chat with people like Sarah Barron there and we we're just having a really good chat about comedy and what we've been up to and stuff like that. And then I went out and did the gig and it was just really nice. And I was like, fuck, I've really missed this. This is this I've completely missed it. Because the first few months of lockdown, I was like, I don't actually miss it at all. I've got yeah. obviously I'm never gonna stop doing comedy or anything like that. But I was like the actual going out every night to gigs and stuff like that had had become a bit of a, a burden or hindrance, I guess, because I just realized I hadn't had an evening in. Uh, of just sat on the TV, you know, sat on the sofa watching TV. I really, I really hadn't done that for a few years. Yeah. Uh, and it was just so nice to do that every yeah. single night for about nine months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then I, I did one gig back again. And it was like, oh, actually, that, no, I do, I do, I really do love this. Yeah. Long, long may it continue when it does come back, please, because. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I love to go to. Um, headliners on a Saturday night or Soho Theatre or the, the Banana Cabaret Ballam, all these wonderful yeah. places. Or Kennington, always be comedy, it's perfect room. Um, mm-hmm. Who are your favourite comedians, past and present? Who makes Glenn Moore laugh? <sighs> it's really tricky. I mean, as a kid, uh, as, as a kid, for some reason, it was purely Laurel and Hardy. Oh, uh, hey. and I don't know why. Um, I mean, well, I mean, I still really enjoy them now, but as in, it was just really weird that that was kind of the only thing I enjoyed as a kid. And then the first stand-up I saw was Lee Evans. Oh, and my parents took me to see a Lee Evans warm-up show that he did at the Epsom Playhouse. Yeah, so it was only yeah. about 300 people. And he was then going to be going on to do it at, like, arenas in front of tens of thousands of people. And I remember genuinely being concerned in that gig that I was like, what if I never stop laughing? What's going to happen? Because I was in... <laughs> I was in agony he was laughing so hard. I couldn't yeah. believe Like, I think Lee Evans is the perfect way to introduce your child to the concept of stand-up comedy. Yeah. I couldn't believe how funny it was. And I remember looking it's the over... visual humour after every gag. Yeah, like, and just... Kills. and oh, I remember yeah. being in agony and looking over and seeing my, my dad in what looked like, like the break position just in agony as well laughing and it was so weird that we'd so rarely laughed at exactly the same thing because I was like nine and he was like 40 that didn't it was just that we'd never ever it, it, it was just that was oh my like certainly in the past that 100% the Evans um, now I don't know because I, I think the two I mean in terms of like people I know and love to see um, people like Jordan Brooks and Rose Matafeo um, I I, I mean, I, I I love a lot of the newer people coming through. Tucson Douglas, I think, is absolutely yeah. hilarious. And I'm obsessed with his stuff. Um, Adam Hess, I think, is uh, absolutely hilarious, obviously. I think in terms of, like, stand-up, I actually just love to watch on TV, I think Maria Bamford, Hannibal Burris, John Mulaney, I think yeah, probably the top three right, who's, yeah. who, where I'm just so excited for every single sentence that's going to come out of the mouth because I've got, I've got no idea what it's going to be. And I'm, so, I'm just so intrigued to hear what their thoughts are on something or what their angle is going to be on something. Just every time I get really, really, really excited. That's brilliant. 
it's 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 excellent you say about Laurel and Hardy because um, of course with me coming from Carlisle, Stan Laurel was born in Ulverston, mm. so that so the museum yes uh, is fantastic, and also I can um, imagine uh, Lee Evans. I did exactly the same. Lee Evans would always play Carlisle Sand Centre as a as a warm up, mm. and I would go. I saw him about three or four times for his bigger gigs and I'm with you he was hilarious and of course you were a lot nearer with it being a smaller theatre you were a lot nearer to it yeah. and 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 it was incredible to see um like like me before you were a comedian did you go to a lot of comedy as a member of the audience no uh, yeah. like not not at all no. i think the so lee evans was my first ever live comedy gig i went right. to see and then a friend of mine took me to see Jimmy Carr on my 18th. So I remember seeing him at the Hammersmith Apollo. So my first couple of experiences were just enormous, enormous shows. And then I saw, (laughs) yeah, I saw, and then I saw two, I saw two live gigs while I was at, I saw three live gigs while I was at uni and two of them were student-based. One one was that time I saw the Cambridge Footlights uh, when I was about 19. And then the year after, so this is a year before I ever did stand up, I went to see the Chortle Student Comedy Competition uh, the previous year when it was in Sheffield. And so I remember people like Reese James yeah. competing in it. And then it was it was headlined by Joe Lyser because he'd won the competition the previous year. Wow. Uh, and again, I was just sort of blown away by everyone on that bill. Um, and then I, I went to just one, um, oh God, I can't remember what they're called. Last Laugh. Last Laugh is like the main sort of club chain yeah. in Sheffield. And uh, I went to see one of their one of their gigs once, um, and that was my first experience of like compare three acts, and that that was just sort of quite new to me, I think. So, yeah, I mean, as a teenager, two gigs, and then in my early twenties, before I'd done stand up, only only two gigs. So I, I I I think it's so important to have an experience of what live comedy is before you do comedy, yeah, yeah. and I really 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 wish I'd seen more before I did it because what I thought were good techniques when I started doing comedy, I I I would have known. From having watched loads of comedians, that those were really bad techniques, and I shouldn't have done them. So I, yeah, I, I yeah. yeah, I cannot employ people enough. Like, it's obviously really good to watch loads of Netflix specials and stuff like that, but it's that's not what comedy is in is like day in day out. In in terms of a, a working comedian's life, that is not what it always. You know, there are, you hope for highs like that, but generally it is. You know, it's it's doing clubs at weekends and it's doing the gigs during the week week on rooms above pubs and it's doing wretched corporate gigs where no one in the audience even knows there's someone on stage because they're just talking and enjoying their evening um it's 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 all those and there are so many important skills to sort of work out and you can you can work those out so much by going to a comedy club and actually seeing my comedy in the first place which as you as you know you go to live comedy more than anyone i know (laughs) which is a great thing you're very kind the reason, the reason why you're, I honestly, you are for any comedian will tell you this, Richard. You are a you are, you are a reassuring sight. You're a reassuring <laughs> sight in any comedy audience. Trust me. I like any time I've ever gone to a gig and I've seen you doing stuff. I I just associate it with oh, it's going to be a good gig because Richard's here. Because uh, I just because you only because you go to nice gigs as well. You go to really nice, well-run gigs. So you go, oh, this is going to be a. What are you doing in Richmond? Oh, this will be a nice one then. It's it's yeah. <laughs> you're you're very very kind. The, the reason why I asked those two questions is that there's a section in the blog called, mm. called The Ones That Got Away, and I've written mm. about 25 comedians who have either passed on, I've not been able to see, and every single comedian in the blog has got so many memories for me, yeah. and, and it's nice to get to know what the comedians 
what the comedians like and 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 it's a, it, mm. it's a it's it's a fantastic choice that you had um just before we go is there anything else you would like to say um have you got any online gigs coming up? Are you doing any writing for a new show? Where can fit people find you on social media? Things like that. Um, yeah, I'm putting together a new show in the hope that I'm going to go on tour in autumn 2022, which feels insanely far away. Well, it, well, it is. I'll be so there. I'm sort of working towards <laughs> that. So doing, doing great. Oh, that's great news. Um, no, other Definitely. than that, I'm on Twitter and Instagram like like everyone else. And uh, as as a substitute for gigs, I now uh, I now stream on Twitch five days a week, just under the name Glenmore, uh, which is which is my main sort of performance outlet uh, each week now until live gigs come back, hopefully as soon as possible. You did something with computer games on Twitch. Yeah, I, I set myself. I think it was just because because of the first lockdown and just suddenly not having. In gigs and not having any work to do or not as much work to do i was still doing like the radio show and stuff in the mornings i i just i i was just on the sofa the whole time playing video games and i was like oh i can see why people do this this is fucking brilliant um and then it suddenly got towards the end of the year and i realized i realized I'd, I'd completed about about 80 games and i was like oh that's probably too many and then i decided to make it a challenge of let's see if i can complete 100 by the end of the year that's and brilliant. so I, I did just about on new year's eve and so this year i thought well let's try and complete 101 games so i'm doing that at the moment and it's uh, it's stressful oh, it's fantastic. taken the fun out of video games for me every every stream is an absolute stress as i'm just pouring buckets of sweat being like to stay on target i need to finish one in the next hour um <laughs> <laughs> um where can but it's people, good fun i love it where can people find you on social media uh so twitter the news at glenn and uh, well if you go on twitter just typing glenn Moore, it'll be there and instagram typing glenn Moore, and it'll be there and on twitch just typing glenn Moore, and uh, uh i'll be there well my friend please keep doing what you do because you're a very 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 funny comedian and you make me laugh a lot so much oh thank you richard and and um I'm I, I'm looking forward to seeing you very very soon live on stage again. Oh, I look forward to seeing you there. Thank you very much. Thank you, and I wish you every success, my friend. All the best to you. Thank you. Thank you.